What's up, everybody? Welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm Patrick. My lovely co-host. The host with the most. The host with the most. It's just what I do. <laughs> this is episode 33. 3-3. 3-3. 3-3. Yep. So we've come a long ways. I can't believe it's been 33 episodes. It doesn't feel like it. No, but it's crazy because we just hit, what, 6,000 downloads yeah. today? Yeah, that's a... It's a big deal to us, especially when we thought, you know. Go back to episode one and listen to how we talk about two people are going to listen to this damn mm-hmm. podcast. And the two people we thought would listen they to the podcast. They didn't even listen. <laughs> Thanks, moms. <laughs> Just kidding. Little, I love you. We do get on here with some of these stories. I don't expect them yeah. to. So these stories get a little bit bad. Yeah. So, Patrick, do you have any news for us today? Uh, Not much other than we did order the new stickers. Oh, they're badass, guys. Should I show them or surprise them? We're going to surprise them. When they come? Okay. We're going to surprise them. And then we are, I will have been, and you're going to help me this weekend. Mm-hmm. We are setting up our Patreon account. Pat's been working hard on it. Um, just trying to figure out what to do for the, we're only going to have one tier when it starts. I think it's like $2. We're, we're going to make it the cheapest we possibly can because we're not it's in not it for the money, money, guys. No? But we will, some of the bonus stuff we have on there already, we're talking about doing, um, you know, giving you guys creative input. Oh yeah, stickers and yeah. because we're gonna start doing exactly. some merch here soon. So creative input on that stuff. Uh, what's some other stuff I put on there? Um, oh, I think it's like priority cases or yep. case and stuff. Yep. We eventually are gonna add a. We're thinking we're we're kicking the idea around of a Tipsy Tuesday type, you know, kind of like a live stream type thing. That'll be fun. Um, maybe on camera, maybe I'm not. Courtney's not a big fan of the camera. I don't give a shit. I'll sit on camera all day long. I mean, I'll uh, do it, especially if I get a truly in me. You know, and then there's then we're also kicking around the idea as, as that thing grows. You know, maybe we, we we maybe we add another tier, maybe we don't, and maybe that tier has. You know, bonus episodes monthly. More maybe it's stuff, yeah. Maybe it's some of Pat's cryptid but episodes. Like, like or we said, we didn't even. Or, it's it's funny. We didn't even think about a, a Patreon. But then we've been, it's been requested. Yeah, we've had people requesting, and, and not just like fellow podcasters that are like, hey, you should do this. It's like listeners are like, hey, do you have a Patreon? We want you Wait, and we want to join I say, it. let's let's do it. This makes me want to work harder for you guys and, and give you the yeah, best so of it, me. So it'll obviously evolve once we get, yeah. as we add new things to it and see how much time it takes up, because we still do have, yep. you know, lives outside of the podcast. I still have a, you know, job and you you got to run damn kids almost everywhere all the time freaking petri dishes of germs giving me a sore throat (laughs) with their back to school ish so we still have other stuff going on and then uh see how much the time that takes but we'd love to add stuff like you know monthly extra episodes or maybe short stories or short requested like missing person episodes or absolutely there's a whole bunch of ideas basically and we're just trying to figure out yeah. How to structure that and not overload ourselves. Yeah, and that this is for you guys. Like any amount that you pay into the Patreon, the two bucks. I mean, that's gonna go yeah, right yeah, back yeah. into the podcast. Hopefully, you get your money's worth. And yeah, so tell us what you want. Um, could this be is free goodies. Could, we don't know yet. We really like, we have so many ideas, and we're just trying to put them all into. Oh yeah, a when base you, to start with, like two when you sign things. up to be a patroni. I don't know what to call it. Then, Patron? then that works too. Then. You'll absolutely get some free goodies. already started calling it the damn, you're, y'all already part of the pudding pod. Yeah, the pudding pod Patronis. No, Patronis? Mm-hmm. Pa- what the fuck? Pratchinistas? Patrons. <laughs> Patrons. I just okay. said that. Patronis. That's boring. Sounds like a beer. Okay. Oh, yeah, I get the point. <laughs> I have no issue with that one. <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for the news, right? So Yeah. 
check out our social medias and stuff like that. We'll keep you up to date. Pretty let much. us let no, us know what you want to see on Patreon. Pa- our, Patreon. Our Instagram is um, at Evil Pudding Podcast. Well, that's our primary oh. social that we use. We do use Twitter, but it, it was, we're just not tweeters as much. Patrick um, runs a tweeter, so if you ever, yeah, if you've ever um, communicated well, on. The tweeter, then that's Patrick, your communicator. And I don't even understand Twitter. Like, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand it at all. Our Instagram uh, is at uh, Evil Pudding Podcast. And uh, yeah, so send us a DM, comment, any ideas that you have or that you want to see on Patreon. Yep. And your wishes are command. And I do this appreciate is your circus. a few of you all have been emailing us about cases. Um, we appreciate so that's it. that's awesome. Um, this actually. If I haven't responded to you yet, I will in the next day or so. Um I'm not on it every day checking that email, but I, I have to remember to do it because I have 17 other work emails I got to check all day long. So you do have a lot of emails. <laughs> I got a few emails I got to check, but um, yeah, we we got a few suggestions on those, and we're looking into a couple of them already. Mm-hmm. Got some weird ones, got some weird comments. That's cool. I like the well, never mind. I was gonna say I yeah, like no, yeah, yeah. I like the weird messages we, we get. Some sometimes. weird messages on there already, which is kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm not fine. Lie to you. I mean, uh, who are we to say that's weird? Right? Because we are some eyeballs. <laughs> Literally have a serial killer portrait behind my head as we're talking right now. No, that's all of the... Well, it's a montage of all the serial killers. No, it's a montage. It's not. It's a montage of every horror movie ever made. Horror movie. It's my most prized possession. I love it. It's got Ghostface and Michael Myers and Jason and the girl from The Ring and everything. I don't know. I love it. I'm just saying it's not weird because we have that behind me and right in front of you we have two Dila de la Muerta paintings. It's it's our aesthetic, man. And uh, damn antlers above our beds. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Cowhide rug. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever. Fake cowhide rug. It's our spooky pudding pod. It's our country ass spooky room. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, that was a whole bunch of fucking rambling. Oh, well, it's good because you're going to want to get all that out of your system for this case today, Patrick. Yay. So, this case was actually, speaking of listeners, this was recommended to me by a new friend and a listener, Jennifer. So, Jennifer, shout out to you. I hope you're listening. I Thank hope I do you proud. Thank you for putting me through this, Jennifer. Thank you. <laughs> it's so funny because how this week played out. Okay, so initially I was going to take a week off from uploading. And then she messaged me and she's just, she was a hoop to chat with. I really enjoyed chatting with her. And just for and just for the, the clarity thing, we weren't really trying to take a week off just to not do it. No, no, no. We're, I was going to take a week off so I could get a few cases ahead. Yeah, and we're also while we're when she does that, we're also restructuring. Not it's not going to affect y'all, but it's kind of restructuring our uh, recording and editing yeah. days because they've changed since the summer with the kids back in school. So the days yeah. we normally record are much harder for us to record on. Uh, so that was it was just going to be a transition for us. So if there is a week we do that, we'll let y'all. But know. don't worry, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> Never mind, not she's for, not doing it not anymore. For, not for, I'll let you know a week in advance if when I decide to take a day off to restructure and get a few cases ahead just so y'all don't have to go without in case we're busy with the kids one week or whatever. But anyway, she, I was going to take this week off. Uh, she messaged me and she was like, okay, you have to look into this case. So I Googled it just really quick, like in the school pickup line. And I thought, oh, okay, I could do like a mini sewed maybe just, I mean, this is yes. pretty straightforward. You heard that right. Courtney researches serial killers outside the junior high school. <laughs> this isn't a serial killer. Oh, uh, okay. But. Just wanted to prove that point though. The deeper I dove, and Pat can attest to this, the more obsessed I got. 
Like I could not wait to that's run through even, the door and go to my computer. That's not even the word. I, you were beyond obsessed. Yeah. Like I'd come and talk to you and be like, hey, how are you doing? And you'd be like, eh, okay. I'm busy. I'll go back to World of Warcraft or football, whatever. I'm busy. Like you didn't even and, But don't worry because y'all are going to quickly see why. Because there are so many facets to this story. And, and this is very irritating, guys. I'm just going to give you a warning. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, I hate those. I am shocked that not many people know about this, for one, but I am also just not fully convinced that it is solved, although technically it's solved, so I need to be okay with that. <laughs> but okay, That's not like enigmatic or anything. That's not puzzling at all. Yeah, I know. Um, just confused me before we even started. Coco's over there like, fuck it, I'm out, I'm done. I'm I, I'm not fully convinced that it's solved, although I probably should be more accepting of the outcome. Uh, so this is one of those cases that I desperately want y'all's input. We genuinely need to have a discussion about this. A bigger, just broader discussion needs to be had in general about this case. I really want to know your thoughts afterwards. Patrick, I would give you the name of this case. Mm-hmm. However, I honestly can't even think of a title yet. I will, before we put the episode out, of course. Can't think of a title that embodies all of the aspects of this crazy story, but if you're listening to this, you will have a little bit of an idea because I will have thought up a title by then. (laughs) I have no worries that I will shoot something stupid out of my mouth as you're talking about it, and that will end up the title. I'm sure. I'm very good at dumping dumb shit out of my mouth. Yes, you are. It's like a talent, honestly. I'm I'm so proud. Wish I could make more money off of it like as a career, (laughs) but I haven't really explored that, so I don't know. (laughs) So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into this. Let's do it. Because we have quite a bit of ground to cover. It's going to be a journey, guys. So join me. The year is 1988. We are in where you were born. Well, not in this township, but um, Jefferson Township, New Jersey. I don't know where that is. I know, but you were born in New Jersey. It's a big state. Which is uh, Jefferson Township is the northernmost township in Morris County. Oh. Back then, the population was around 16,000, which really isn't that big at all. Um, But today, the population sits around 21,000, so not too much growth, actually. Morris County is not like, it's kind of a rural county, if I remember correctly. I haven't been back there forever. It is very rural. So, less than one hour away from New York, Jefferson Township genuinely feels like a world away from the hustle and bustle of Times Square, even though it's just an hour away. Jefferson, surrounded by heavy forests and lakes, was a great and safe place to raise a family. This is a tight-knit community where everyone knows everyone. Everyone's all up in your business. Everyone leaves their doors unlocked, especially since it's the 80s, right? But that is one thing that was really driven home in my research, that this neighborhood was nothing less than idyllic. I know we always say this about places where crimes take place, but this literally is the type of place where the police department just wasn't all that busy and everyone either knew everyone in the police department because they went to school together. Yeah. And we're actually going to see a prime example of that. I mean, 16,000 people, yeah. not a big town. And that's the township. It's not even like the right. town. Yeah, it's a whole township. It's um, com- comprised of several different little towns. Yeah. So we're going to see a prime example of this in this story actually a little later on. However, the facade of a picture-perfect suburbia would quickly be destroyed one snowy winter night. I feel like that statement has been said on every single ID show ever made. But 
This is true. I, I, it's that's true. why I said I know we hear that a lot, but I have to say that in this incident, in this instance, it's a hundred percent true. It's, We've said it's that on one thing episodes. that was really driven home. Everybody knew this family. Everybody knew everybody's business. They all went to school together. The parents went to school together. Right. Yeah. We covered that one episode where the little girl went missing and mm-hmm. the neighbors. Yeah. It was the same scenario. Tenuous. That's what it was. And mm-hmm. It was the same scenario. It was a small little town. Everybody knew everybody. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness. So let's talk about that snowy winter night in question. Just before 11 p.m. on January 7th, 1988, Thomas Sullivan Sr. was woken up by the smell of smoke and his house smoke alarm going off in his middle-class suburban home on White Rock Boulevard. That's not a great way to wake up. Would your house on fire? No, with your um, smoke alarm going yeah, off. Well, smoke going on. Okay. Of course, with your house on fire. Of course, I jumped to conclusions, but there's smoke in my house and my smoke alarm's going off. I'm like, uh, my house is on fire. Scare the shit out of you. He went downstairs to find that the fire was coming from his living room. It wasn't a big fire. But um, it was specifically coming from the couch and the carpet area around it. That's weird. Thomas Sr. ran back to the bedroom to wake up his wife, Betty Ann, who strangely was not in their bed. Oh. He then went to wake up his older son, Thomas Jr., also known as Tommy. So that's how we're going to be referring to him. He, too, was nowhere to be found. As a parent, that's literally a living nightmare. I can't even fathom. It's not when you wake up that and feeling. part of your house is burning, like there's a fire in your house randomly. And you can't find anybody. And people are missing. Yeah. So Thomas Sr. darted out across the snow. Remember, it's winter and it's January in New Jersey. It's snowing. It's not warm. So uh, he darted out across the snow to his neighbor's, uh, the Eastman's house, to get help. The Eastmans had a 20-something-year-old college student who was home on weekends, so he knew that they'd be awake and he'd probably have friends over. And he was right. As Thomas Sr. approached the Eastman's house, he noticed his own car in the Eastman's driveway backed up into a pile of snow. So Thomas Sullivan Sr. noticed his car Mm -hmm. across the street at the neighbor's house, like haphazardly backed up into a pile of snow. Like what in the is happening here? Uh, And it was parked somewhat askew with the driver's side doors open, key still in the ignition. So it was as if someone had stolen his car, crashed it, and then abandoned it. That's just weird. super strange. But he didn't have time to worry about that because Shit, his family's missing there his was house literally a fire in his home and his family was nowhere to be found. Thomas Sr. banged on the Eastman's door and explained to the Eastman's exactly what was going on at his home. Three brothers named Stuart, Bobby, and Michael Kennedy, all in their early 20s, were visiting the Eastman's college-age son, and they immediately agreed to help. Bobby Kennedy stayed in the Eastman residence to uh, call the local fire department while Michael and Stuart went back with Thomas Sr. back to his house to assist him. So the three men were easily able to extinguish the fire. It was small in the living room. And when they did, they noticed the origin of the fire. Someone had arranged books and papers in a circle of sorts, and it had lit that on fire. If they would have looked closer, which I know they weren't thinking about at the time, so I do not fault them for this, they would have noticed that those books that were so neatly arranged in a perfect circle weren't just any books. They were books covering the topic of Satanism and the occult. And the papers were drawings of various, uh, quote, satanic symbols, is how it was described. Oh. We will get back to that a little later on. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't think in the midst of putting out a fire, they're ready to they conduct don't a full care arson what's investigation, on, like what's, looking for yeah, accelerants. Exactly. And all these, they're, just like, they're just happy to put out at this point. So anyways, just as the men had extinguished the fire, eight-year-old Brian Sullivan, um, Thomas Sr.'s youngest son, sleepily walked out of his bedroom crying for his mom. Walked out like, what the fuck is yeah, happening? Yeah, exactly. When Thomas Sr. asked if he had seen his brother, Thomas Jr., Tommy, Brian stated that he had seen Tommy earlier that evening covered in blood washing up from cutting his hand. So he was bloody, and he said that he had cut his hand. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, mom's taking me to the ER to get stitches. That's what he told Brian. And Brian's like, okay, and went back to bed. It's weird because as a parent, I know both of us would wake the other one up and be like, hey, don't freak out. Yeah. But I got to take one of the kids to the ER. Yeah. I mean, that's what we would do. Who knows? I think that's most parents would do they would wake the other one up and at least say hey if that was if that well thomas senior knew that wasn't the case no i know i'm just saying that that makes it very suspicious or all yeah rip. well immediately thomas senior looked at the kennedy brothers and he was like they didn't go to the er because my wife's car is still in the driveway and my car is <laughs> yeah at your house. house something was really off so thomas senior and michael kennedy decided to go downstairs to the basement the only place they haven't checked yet uh-oh as they walked down the stairs, the pair looked to the left, and there they would find 37-year-old Betty Ann Sullivan covered in blood. Next to her, she had a 25-pound dumbbell lying next to her body. But Betty Ann had not just been murdered real quick. She had been mutilated. Her face had been, and this was a term used by investigators, carved. And her eyes had been removed. Yeah. So this was a deeply personal killing. This wasn't just a break-in or a burglary. Someone had set out to erase this poor woman's whole identity. And obviously the satanic stuff throws a loop in it, right? It, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, obviously I know you're going to cover it, but it already, you're already drawing a correlation between eyes being removed, her face oh, yeah. being carved, a fire with satanic stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just... The discovery of Betty Ann's remains obviously terrified the men, so they waited for police to show up back at the Eastman's residence. This is where things go kind of awry. <laughs> officer Barton McConnelly was the first officer to arrive on the scene. And Barton McConnelly? Yeah. Okay. And lo and behold, this was his first 1028 or police code in that township for murder. So this was his first murder investigation. Oh, I remember those. Once, once Officer McConnelly arrived, the fire department was already there, but since the fire had been extinguished, they were told by McConnelly to stay out of the Sullivan residence until police could clear it. That's fairly typical, I would say. Yeah. I mean, my first dead body I ever dealt with, I babysat for eight hours. I know. I, I remember sat, that story. I sat in a fucking room on a chair in the doorway of the bedroom That's of a woman that killed herself and awful. just sat there for eight hours till everybody else showed up. God, Patrick. I was like 22, 23. And now a child. <laughs> you get to see some interesting things over time that happen to a body. I'll just tell you that. Oh, much. my God. Anyways. So, however, this is not so typical. Now, get this. It's the middle of winter in New Jersey, so there's obviously a lot of snow. It's going to take a little while for police backup to arrive to assist Barton, right? I oh, mean, yeah. It's going to take him a while. Instead of waiting, Barton decided to get his old high school buddy, civilian Stuart Kennedy of the Kennedy Bros, to help him clear this murder scene. 
So there's that. Hey, Stewie, go grab you a fire poker, bro. That's what happened. Even because I heard an interview with Stuart. He was like, oh. So (laughs) here's the thing on that. And here's a quick pet take on that, right? So I'll throw a little law enforcement view on that. You know, it is the 80s and all that stuff. But there is a sense of urgency. The 80s of it all. Yeah, there is. There is a sense of urgency. You found a dead body. The rest of the building hasn't been cleared. You don't know where another person is. You don't know if a killer's still in the building. So there's a sense of urgency to clear it to make sure, you know, maybe the maybe the, the son who hasn't been found is bleeding out on the floor, right? You don't know. So there is a sense of urgency to clear the building and make sure there's no one else in the building. That's but not the answer. But you don't do it with some random person. No, you're contaminating a crime scene. You're not just, you're putting them at risk. You're mm-hmm. liable for their life and their safety. It's not if, a smart if move. They kill, if they get in an altercation with the killer, then you're reliable or you're liable because they're not a cop. They can go to jail for murder. You know what I mean? Like it's just a whole bunch of stupid shit. But there is, I do understand the point of. You understand the thought process, not the, the action itself. But yeah. And I can tell you from you know law enforcement, I'm sure any other cop out here mm-hmm. can tell you the first couple of times you respond to something you've never responded before or something like that. Your adrenaline's going nuts. You have no idea what you're doing. You're just trying Especially to Especially this out. was his first, not making excuses for him. No, 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 that was no, but a that's stupid move. But yeah. Like, I remember the first, everything I went on, the first homicide, the yeah. first you know, assault, the first rape. I, went, I mean, you're like, you're trying to clear your head and how to deal with these things. Yeah. First live entry I did on a SWAT team. Like, you're trying to go on muscle memory at that point. You're mm-hmm. not clearly thinking 100%, which is, it's, it can cause issues. Yeah, it can. It definitely did for I'm Barton. I'm siding he with was him a, he was a mess. justifying him. I'm just saying. No, he was definitely whole, wrong. There's a whole aspect I of see that. his thought process, but he made the wrong choice. I guess that's safe to say. Yeah, and we can. that's the problem is you can analyze what everyone did after mm-hmm. the fact, but when they do it, you know, it's, 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 it's you make a choice and run with it. At least he acted. That's all I can say. Officer Barton and Stuart Kennedy went inside the Sullivan home and did just that. They cleared it. Eventually, more officers arrived on the scene and established a secure perimeter. During all of this, there was still no sign of Tommy Sullivan, 14 years old. 14-year-old Tommy Sullivan. The other thought on that is taking that kid to clear, I'm sorry, but taking the kid to clear with you, one, you don't know that the kid's not a suspect. Yeah, you don't know. And two, if your buddies show up Mm -hmm. and they see this kid running around, yeah. What's going to say your colleagues aren't going to, you know, beat his ass or shoot him or tase him or whatever it may be. You you just, it's not a it's smart a, move. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I really, you don't know if this kid's involved or not either because you just showed up. So Tommy's still missing through all this. And in fear that he had been abducted and maybe in grave danger of some sort, Detective Paul Hart put out an APB for Tommy. In fact, because this was such a close-knit community, in the middle of the night, volunteers immediately rallied to go and search for the 14-year-old local boy. Remember, things like this just don't happen here. And Tommy Tommy probably went to school with a lot of these, well, did go to school with these people's kids. Yeah. So what if he had been one of their own? I mean, they they this stuff doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen in these small towns. And they always band together on this. And, and then for those of you listening that don't know what an APB is, it's an all-police bulletin. It's often referred oh, to as a BOLO. Uh, which is be on the lookout for. So it's basically yeah. they're just notifying every law enforcement agency, look out for this. Look out for this person, this car. You know, you get them all the time with Amber Alerts. They're all the same thing. With Tommy still missing and Thomas Sr. and Brian safely at the police station receiving medical attention and being questioned, investigators were able to piece together exactly what had happened to Betty Ann Sullivan. And it's not pretty. I'm going to guess she was beaten to death with a damn dumbbell and carved up. According to the forensics report, it was determined that the victim, Betty Ann, was attacked from behind and struck in the back of the head with a heavy object. So someone would have had to be hiding and waiting for her to walk past them while holding this object. Then when she passed, they struck her in the back of the head. She never saw it coming. 
Now, this blow alone would have been enough to fracture Betty Ann's skull and possibly even kill her, especially since the back of her head was completely caved in. However, after she was struck, the killer then proceeded to inflict over two dozen stab wounds to her face, neck, and torso. And then her eyes were carved out. It was determined by the stab wounds that killed her uh, that the killer had to have been right-handed, and the weapon used to stab Betty Ann was not as sharp as, let's say, a hunting knife would be. So it would have taken quite a bit of um, strength and gumption and effort Effort, to inflict these wounds. Gumption. And that (laughs) weapon was nowhere to be found. They couldn't find it. It was also determined that Betty Ann's body had been moved. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't killed where she laid. Um, <laughs> wow, guys, this is going to get crazy. Okay. One final detail of the crime scene that I, I can't leave out, and this is going to baffle you, Patrick. Okay. Okay. We all know what blood spatter is. Yep. Uh, think Dexter. He was a blood spatter analyst. And for those of you um, that don't know, if you've never heard of it, blood spatter is... I'm going to get there. Okay. So blood spatter happens when someone is struck or shot and blood goes flying. It's, it's super helpful in forensics because blood spatter analysis can help determine the origin of the trajectory of the crime. And as well as many other things that even the, when it happened, like if they were struck and then stabbed or. Right. And to your point, you know, a stab wound will create a, like a linear blood splatter. It's almost like a line. Whereas like a blunt force object will create more of like a, like a circular splatter. Mm -hmm. Um, So to your point, you can tell a lot on a crime scene just from the blood splatter. So there's blood splatter, but there's also blood smearing, two very different things. Blood smearing occurs when a victim is already bleeding from a wound and then is either dragged or moved. Or they're trying to get away or whatever. Exactly. They have to be moved though. Yeah. There's movement of. Well, check this out guys. Detective Hart noted in his forensic report that there was definitive blood smearing right underneath the ceiling tiles high upon the walls. How the hell did that get there? I got some theories. Blood spatter, I would understand, but smearing, I don't get. To Detective Hart, this indicated that there would have to be either multiple assailants or one very strong one, and even then, why? You know? Why? Why would her blood be smeared that high up? Unfortunately, it's a question that um, I don't think we're we're going to get answers to, guys. I really don't. There's just, there's no answer to that. And I mean, that's what, that's why I say there's a lot of conversation. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. There's a I lot of conversation that needs to be had about this case. That's just dipping our toe my, in. My first question just is, did, wait. They, did they search the ceiling tiles? Oh, I'm sure they did. Because yeah. I'm just thinking like, it, it's impossible to put someone up there. And why would you do it? But at the same time in my head, I'm thinking I got blood all over me. Maybe I hit something up there and I've heard blood all over my hands. Yeah. I mean. I would imagine but, they did. I didn't find anything. No, but to you, I'm just saying to your yeah, point. Yeah, that's what maybe you would do. tons of questions already that I already have going through my head. Well, Detective Hart was sitting at his desk the next morning pondering what the hell happened. <laughs> what the fuck did I just walk <laughs> yeah, into? Yeah, exactly. And just when you think this case couldn't get any more bananas, it does. This is going to rock your socks. So prepare to have tons more questions. Yay. Okay, so Mr. Eastman, you remember our friendly neighbor across the street? Friendly neighbor, yeah, I got him. Got him. Uh, remember, yeah, he was having his morning coffee standing at his kitchen sink after one hell of an eventful night, no I'd shit. say. 
He looked out the window and saw a figure sitting in the snow, leaning up against a wood pile in his backyard. Weird. That's weird. Weird. Especially given the events that had just transpired. So Mr. Eastman walked outside, probably gingerly, (laughs) and as he got closer, he noticed that bright red blood stained the snow surrounding the figure. To his absolute horror, Mr. Eastman discovered that it was the dead body of young 14-year-old Tommy Sullivan. Okay, guys. I really need y'all to focus in here because this is crazy. (laughs) Tommy's wrist had been cut, and I use that term loosely. Don't know what else to say. Um, He had more so stabbed between his two. You have two bones in your wrist. He stabbed in between those bones and repeatedly dragged the blade and then kept stabbing. Tommy's hand was just completely bent back, touching his arm. It was in an unnatural position. It was almost completely severed. Mm-hmm. However, this had not severed an artery somehow, some way. Um, it was obviously done, if he had done it, it was done in an attempt to take his life, but it wouldn't have worked, I guess you could say. I don't think you could Because do that it yourself. didn't, yeah, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't sever a major artery. Then it, then here comes the worst part. Tommy's throat was cut ear to ear all the way back to the spinal cord to the point that he was nearly decapitated. His head was even hanging at an unnatural position with his right ear completely resting on his right shoulder and his chin straight up in the air. Like he, it was cut through skin, mm-hmm. muscle, bone, the bone, like even cut through the larynx, like your throat bones. Mm-hmm. But the only thing holding his literal his head on was his spinal cord. Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> Once investigators arrived on the scene, they would find Tommy's Boy Scout knife laying near his body, which would later be determined to be the knife used to inflict Tommy's fatal injuries, as well as the weapon used to stab and mutilate his mother, Betty Ann Sullivan. Strangely, it seemed as though Tommy had walked into the Eastman's backyard, positioned himself against the woodpile. Then, according to the coroner's estimated time of death, he killed himself right after he would have seen his mother, because he had a direct view of his his front door, right after he saw his mother's bodies being hauled off from the crime scene. That's when he killed himself, according to the time of death. Now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking... There is no way in blue hell that a 14-year-old boy could have mutilated his own wrist than with one hand completely nearly decapitate himself. Nope. Uh, I mean, he would have had to cut through skin, muscle, bone, and nerves with one hand. And the knives they give you in Boy Scouts, I looked it up, they're not the sharpest necessarily. They they can do damage, of course, but they are not. They're like little pocket knives, aren't they? They're not like your typical hunting knife. No. And that was used to do all this. So there's no way, right? However, investigators noted in the forensics report that there were only one set of footprints leading to the area that Tommy allegedly sat down and killed himself in snow is wonderful for holding evidence, by the way. I mean, it's really cool because they were able to see perfectly Tommy's footprints. He sat down, and there were no returning footprints leading back into the woods or out to the street going in either direction. And when you think about it, 
snow really is like perfect for preserving footprint up footprint evidence is what I was trying to say. His prints were not only found on the knife, but Tommy's prints were not only found on the knife, but also on the 25 pound dumbbell used to bludgeon his mother. So his prints are everywhere. Yeah. But it's his knife and the dumbbells in his house and he's 14. A few days later in Thomas senior's car, investigators found a suicide note that Tommy had written. I will let you know exactly what was in that letter a little bit later on, because if I told you now, you'd be confused. <laughs> we're already confused. I know, we're I know. Already confused. But I know. But just know there was a suicide note that was left. We okay. will circle back to it, I promise. So my next thought when I got this far in my research was, okay, maybe he was on drugs when he did this and his pain tolerance was off the charts due to an altered state, you know? Like, I'm just grasping here. bath salts is this kid on? But a toxicology report would later find that Tommy had absolutely no drugs or alcohol in his system whatsoever. With all my confusion, I have to admit that I was relieved to a degree to hear that even the coroner said that he had no choice but to rule this a suicide a murder-suicide, since that's where the physical evidence directed him. But he just doesn't see how this kid could have done this to himself. So this was ruled a murder-suicide, but I think it's fair to say that that we have more questions than answers, for sure. A hundred percent, but to your point, like you said— And we'll have more later on, The evidence me. dictates a murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. There's no other footprints. There's no other prints. There's no other—you know, we saw this with Hinter Kaifek. There's only one set of footprints going there and nothing else, like— Right. It's like someone float there? Yeah. So, I mean, they have to go off the physical evidence, the rule. They can't pursue a suspect with nothing pointing to a suspect. So, what the hell happened here? (laughs) That's what we all want to know. Before we start to speculate too much, let's quickly get to know the Sullivans and talk about the months leading up to this horrific event so that we can attempt, probably won't succeed, at making some sort of sense out of this mind-blowing, baffling situation and just to let you know, guys, things are just going to get weirder. We're just going to have more questions. So strap sh- up. Prepare yourself. This is crazy. Now are you kind of seeing why I went down such a black hole? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm seeing it. <laughs> okay. So the Sullivan family was a normal all-American family. And I hate to say it because it's a term rather overused in true crime. But I don't know of a more appropriate way to describe them. They were... Decent, hardworking, middle-class people. They were practicing Irish Catholic and felt it was important enough to spend the extra money to send both their boys to parochial school to get what they felt was a good and, quote, godly education under the archdiocese. Tommy was in the eighth grade at George A. Brown Memorial School, where he was a great student. He was also a member of the school's wrestling team and was looking forward to wrestling in high school next year at Pope John High School. I would think that Tommy would have been maybe a little nervous for the upcoming year because he truly would have been the new kid at Pope John High School. See, the way that Jefferson Township was kind of set up, all of the incoming freshmen at Pope John for the next year would have attended a different middle school than Tommy. Um, Kind of like our situation with our kids. (laughs) So he was probably a little nervous that he wouldn't know many other freshmen. However, with his athleticism and how much he excelled on the wrestling team and at school, I'm sure he would have fit right in. He was a popular, well-known kid. Yeah, yeah. It just would have taken him a little bit longer, that's all. 
Now, wrestling, I've come to learn a lot about this. Wrestling in New Jersey is not just wrestling. <laughs> From my understanding, Patrick, it's likened to small-town Texas football. Um, In certain parts, right? Yeah. Even where I grew up outside of Philly, wrestling was huge in high school. Um, it's a lifestyle. It's, it is. It's kind of like AAU basketball is for us out here. Yeah. Now, I would I wouldn't necessarily Texas football because that's on a league of its own. Yeah, but it I mean it's huge. It's year round. It's everyone goes to that stuff. You'd walk into any middle school in Jefferson Township, and as a student, you'd see old pictures of your dad and your uncle sitting in a, dis- a display case along with trophies that they had won. It's just how it was. So okay, yeah, it is like West. Say, think West Texas football. Yeah, small town Texas football. You're going to see your granddad, your uncle, your dad, your older brother, all pictures of them with trophy cases. Yeah, no, it's like that. I get it. Um, the the thing is that the the surviving members of Tommy's family haven't really blessed us with a lot of information. So I had to kind of dig into the schools and and what wrestling would have entailed for Tommy to just try to get to know this kid that's such a mystery. Right. What I found was, at least back then, boys typically started wrestling from a young age Mm -hmm. in Jefferson. And the hours put in were grueling, to say the least. We're talking when you have to cut weight. Because they had to do that as young 100%. as middle school. Um, 5.30 a.m., five-mile runs. I mean, it, it's it's hard. And it is thought that Tommy wrestled in the 105-pound weight division, which means that as he grew, as boys do, um, that to stay in that weight division, he would have had to put in hours of work. Some measures that were taken for boys to make weight could be drastic at times we've all heard it the abuse of diuretics over exercise low calorie diets i mean sweatsuits sweatsuits it's extreme yeah uh, i'm not again i'm not saying that i know for a fact tommy did this i'm saying he was very devoted to wrestling it's part of the lifestyle it's part of the lifestyle he would have at least been exposed to this he would lifestyle have been exposed to it. it wasn't as front of mind as it is nowadays when you look at ufc fighters and stuff cutting weight everyone pays attention to that stuff i remember i had friends that wrestled and they would be at school at 5 30 in the morning in sweatsuits and doing all these things that cut weight and we're all, and they're eating apples for lunch and we're all like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Like, what are y'all doing? I remember back when I was working at my last job and I would wake up at four, I had the bright idea to wake up at 4.30 a.m. to get my workout in mm-hmm. and that lasted all of, I don't think I ever did it. <laughs> no, but I remember all my friends and some, a lot of them played soccer with me or played on the football team and our football team was state champs mm-hmm. my senior year. Our soccer team was state champs numerous times throughout that decade. I think yeah. the last time was when I was a sophomore. That we didn't even work as hard as the wrestlers did. Yeah, none of us did. They get crazy. They were there all morning. They were the last ones to leave in the afternoon. It was I take nuts. it very seriously. But Tommy was seemingly devoted to the sport. However, he didn't seem to mind putting in the hard work. If he was ever feeling like he was under too much pressure, no one would have ever known it. He never talked to anybody. I'm just trying to cover all my bases. You know, there was nobody that came forward and said, you know, he was under way too much pressure. Thomas Sr. and Betty Ann Sullivan believed in, like so many other parents, and I think we fall into this category, not to this degree, but, uh, you know, keeping their kids busy. They really believed in that because, as the saying goes, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, the Sullivans and um, Tommy and his little brother, Brian, were all very active in their church where Tommy even served as an altar boy. Tommy was also a Boy Scout, hence the Boy Scout knife. 
Is that where that came from? That's where that came from. Got it. Then around November, before the devastating murder-suicide took place, remember that took place in January. Right. So not long before. Oh, two months. Um, Tommy was given a school project to work on that would allegedly change the trajectory of his life. So he had a world religion class, and his world religion teacher assigned the students to each of them could pick one religion that interested them, and they had to research it and write a paper on it. Now, this was a very controversial thing to do anyways. And they're at? A Catholic school. A Catholic school. Which yeah. Is even wor- well, they want you to understand it, but it's dangerous, right? Because you're talking about young minds, and you're opening them up to things they've never experienced. So it can't have a danger level to it. Tommy decided to write about Hinduism, And he did really well on his project, as usual. He was a great student. However, Tommy's good friend had picked Satanism as his religion of choice. And he got an A. He did really good. For whatever reason, Tommy just became super interested in this topic and started kind of researching the occult on his own, which is very typical. We are curious by nature as humans <laughs> i was about to say it makes a lot of sense especially when you have these kids that are very uh, religious families not necessarily like stern religion but they're very religious when one is the polar opposite of it and you hear about it in your religion you're interested your stuff, you want to understand it you, you just want to, want to know and That's maybe it. some of the stuff the kid did in his presentation if he did so well on it, maybe he brought some things up they're like oh i'd like to learn more about that yeah because i don't know anything i don't know the other side now i'd like to preface what i'm going to go into next by saying that a crime was committed and I am of the belief that we need to look at fact-based evidence and motive. The only reason I'm about to go on this tangent at all about the occult somehow being responsible is A, the time frame in which this case took place, aka the satanic panic, which I'm going to deep dive into in a little bit. Uh, That played a huge role in the way this case was investigated and treated. And B, A lot of the investigators were even of the belief that due to the gruesome nature of the crimes, something or someone other than Tommy just had to be involved. Um, What about C, that they found satanic shit at the crime scene? Yeah, sometimes I get that. Now, no one ever came out and said this, but sometimes I just get the, the impression that a lot of these, even law enforcement, thought that this was like a possession and yeah, it's and just, it's, ugh, even it's, if it was, or even if it really was satanic, that time period, and you're talking about the satanic panic too, there's a, in a small town like that, there's a lot of conspiracy style. Oh, we'll get cover there. Up. We'll get there. Okay. Don't worry. I got you. Yeah, every small town, when they have these crazy crimes, they want to cover it up some. They don't want to become that poster town for the satanic murder. You know what I mean? So all that said, it would come to light after Tommy and his mother's death that Tommy and a close friend, I couldn't find who allegedly attended two satanic services in the woods near their home. How does now, one find satanic services? I'm just curious. How true is in this? Who knows? People, especially kids, like to talk out of their asses and feed into a frenzy that's already occurring outside. Oh, we know this. You get a little attention, look at every TikTok trend. You get a little attention, everyone wants to do it because they want their piece of the pie. But now is a really good time to go into a little more detail about what I mean when I say, quote, the woods near their home. (laughs) I found out when I was researching this case that in West Milford, New Jersey, exactly 14 minutes away from Tommy's house is what's known as, quote, 
the most haunted road in the United States, Clinton Road. I've heard of it. And I'm not going to spend too long on this because I don't want to detract from this case and the facts. But let me give you a little background on Clinton Road. I also know West Milford, so I'm familiar with the area. Clinton Road is a quiet 10-mile stretch of road out in the middle of nowhere surrounded by woods and the Clinton Reservoir. If you travel down this road, you will surely pass some abandoned spooky homes. But as you travel further north onto Clinton, you will eventually cross a bridge uh, called Dead Man's Curve. And legend has it that (laughs) that it has a little boy that this isn't funny, but just the whole, I think, theory is funny to me. A little boy apparently died in the waters beneath this bridge. So if you toss a coin over the side of the guardrails into the water, the ghost boy will toss it back up to you. Like he does, like, I don't want your damn donations. I don't want your fucking nickel. (laughs) And that's literally the worst part. Anyways, this stretch of roads and the woods around it have drawn a lot of attention over the years, without a doubt. Oddly enough, in the year leading up to the murder-suicide that would rock Jefferson Township, investigating detective that we mentioned earlier, Detective Paul Hart, had been receiving numerous reports of Satanists holding ceremonies in the woods. Okay. Now, before you get too loosey-goosey with your assumptions of evil Satanists, um, (laughs) brainwashing Tommy to kill his mother and then himself, please remember the year, 1988, right smack dab in the middle of the Satanic Panic. In fact, just that year, four high school seniors had been banned from attending their own high school graduation due to their involvement in the occult. What were they doing that was so bad, you may ask? Any guesses? I don't know. They were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons uh, and Dragons. Yeah. With me. So, for all, of our, oh, yeah, never mind, never mind. for all of our non-American listeners who may not be too familiar with the Satanic Panic, yeah. let me give you a very brief overview, and then we're going to be able to see how Tommy's case just kind of fanned the flames of this huge yeah, epidemic, say, I'll go like, ahead and call it. I was about to say, Dungeons and Dragons, how did that have anything to do with it? And then you remember the Satanic Panic, and we've talked about that on other episodes. Yeah. We've talked about the West Memphis Three. We've talked about how though they were the... Netflix, Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. But Patrick, have you Dungeons ever wondered why Dungeons and Dragons all of a sudden were, why that was involved in the satanic panic at all? No, it kind of can correlate it. No, I'll, I'm going to tell you exactly why. Okay. No, I'm saying I could correlate it. I can figure I can think I could figure it out. So now we could do literally a whole last series on the satanic oh, yeah, panic. And I would should. love to, because I'm, I have 18 pages of notes that I had to condense into one little paragraph. So the problem is you'll turn it into a fucking seven hour episode about, West Memphis 3. I'm going to cover the West Memphis Memphis (laughs) 3. We have to. Especially Um, since all the recent stuff. But it's safe to say that it was a bleak time in American recent history. Literally the Salem witch trials of the 20th century. Very much so. According to Wikipedia, the satanic panic was a moral panic consisting of over 12,000 unsubstantiated cases of satanic ritual abuse starting in the U.S. in the 80s spreading throughout many parts of the world throughout the 90s and still persisting today. This all started in 1969 when the Manson murders took place. That same year, Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible was published. So people were kind of instantly, for whatever reason, linking the two events, like the Manson murders must be satanic because Anton LaVey released. Well, I mean, there was, but there they was, were. I mean, it's, There's some similarities there. It's a good... Easy way to draw I mean, like a 
Yeah, they just think there's not really similarities, I don't think. Uh, yeah, what, what Manson did, and they said that was satanic, and then he published it. Well, they said it was satanic. That's what I'm saying. So the but, news is saying it's satanic. Anton LaVey's satanic. Well, Bible the media shoved out. it down our so throats that it was. Like, yeah. Oh, and this was before social media and the internet, so you hear word of mouth, and it just spreads like wildfire. It was fed to us that. 100%. Yeah. It came from the media. That it's so bad. Then, get this, Patrick. Then the book The Exorcist came out in 71. And after that, in 73, the movie was released and everyone just lost their ever loving shit. I will actually challenge you to find a more influential movie for the time. Once you really look into that era in which this book and film were released, it's absolutely no surprise that America was literally taken to the edge of paranoia, especially since it was, they claimed it was based on a true story, allegedly, of course. Which, if you actually want to, Courtney did an amazing job. I did an episode. the actual true story, Mm -hmm. the real story that The Exorcist was based off. It's based off of a real person and real events, so... It's loosely based. It's obviously, they've changed a lot of it. But check that one out. We did an episode on it. It's amazing. Word. <laughs> Shameless plug right there. Shameless plug. Then in the mid-70s, so we just covered the early 70s. In the mid-70s, uh, Mike, Michael Aquino, a former member of the Church of Satan under Anton LaVey, founded uh, something known as uh, the Temple of Set, mm-hmm. which is based, it based its philosophy on effectively calling out Anton LaVey in the Church of Satan. They were basically more, they were still Satanists, but they were more theistic. So Anton LaVey is nothing more than atheist. Yeah, I was about to say, Anton LaVey was not a true Satanist by the words. He didn't no. worship the devil. They don't worship anything. They're humanist. He was... Michael Aquino yes, worshipped Satan. He was an Satan. of... Yeah, the, 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 I, I, the that's of my understanding. Maybe I'm wrong. No, that's right. The Temple of Seth was an offshoot that was like, no, Satan is... The King. thing, yeah, yeah. You're just over here saying you're talking Satanism, but you're not teaching. You're, you're not talking about Satan. You're talking about nothingness, basically, is what Levey preached. Yeah. So, um, from just my general understanding, please feel free to message me. Oh, if, I could do a whole episode I'm of wrong. Um, so, the Temple of Set was basically more of a theistic Satanist organization, whereas Anton's version of Satanism is atheistic. Yep. Okay. So, anyways, the Temple of Set would go on to well claim to be able to provide evidence of Satanists that lived in North America. Now, all those these alleged Satanists lived there. There was never any real evidence provided of anything that was illegal. But they claimed, this Michael Aquino claimed that um, there was evidence of ritual animal. Mm-hmm. They really focused in on children, child abuse, child, you know. Sacrifice. Yeah, harm, all that stuff. Endangerment. Couldn't find anything. Uh, long story short, people heard the term Satanist and they immediately thought bad. Period. That's just how easy it is to brainwash. And us. again, <laughs> back then, you know, for a lot of us nowadays, it's hard to it's harder to do because you can Google your own shit now. You can just Google it. You know what I mean? And, and, and research. Back then, you couldn't. Like whatever everyone was talking about was basically what was going on. Well, from here on out, anytime there was any evidence of animals or children being harmed. It was blamed on Satanists. Yep. Effectively. It literally, it literally was just a crazy kid next door. A crazy guy killed a dog. And over the next several decades, we see this phenomenon absolutely snowballing. For example, in 1983, the year I was born, Ray Bucky, who worked at, uh, many of you true crime fans will know this case. I could do an episode on this. He worked at um, the McMartin School in Manhattan Beach, California. He was accused um, 
of sodomizing a two-year-old boy. The mother accused him. After a few more allegations, rumors of other staff abusing more children came to light. Then rumors started to spread that there were secret tunnels under the school where allegedly the satanic cult of preschool teachers... (laughs) Sorry, it's not funny. (laughs) As you are. (laughs) The satanic cult of preschool teachers would take young children down to perform rituals on them, like sodomize them, drink their, or make them drink their urine. I mean, just horrible things. <laughs> Parents were told, Patrick, listen to this. All listening. Parents were told by police to question their literal preschoolers who haven't even entered elementary school and ask them if they have been victims of sexual crimes such as, but not limited to, oral sex and sodomy. I would have a complaint about that. I mean, no. that, oh my God, that's just, cr- At first of all, I'd freak out and yeah, no oh shit. my God, but just chaos. So you go and you paranoid freaking out parent that just read this letter, go and sit down and calmly ask your child if, I mean, can you imagine? Nope. Nope. What the fuck was going on with you people back then? So these kids would initially, they were questioned by their parents and they were like, no, I've never been brought to any tunnel. I've never been assaulted or whatever. But then after a time of being in a nutshell, for lack of a better word, coerced by frantic parents and even therapists that were hired, all of a sudden these children were telling these radical tales of evil winged creatures that abused them and made them drink urine, things like that. When it was all over and done with, there were over 208 counts of child abuse involving over 40 children. The McMartin trial would last seven years, cost $15 million, but ultimately resulted in zero convictions as there was zero substantiated evidence, not to mention the absolute trauma this caused the children and all of the lives that were ruined. I mean, can, this is just devastating. So to me, that case, that case, and of course the infuriating case of the West Memphis Three stands out to me, but it's also a testimony as to how actually fearful the public was of this perceived threat that just did not really even exist. To think how many lives have been destroyed because of this concept is truly a testament to how we as a society can take such an asinine idea and just give it a life of its own. Yeah, but I think there's one key thing that, you know, we kind of overlook talking about true crime and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We talk about the, the, you talk about the, you really talk about the origin of the satanic panic, right? Mm-hmm. We all know the satanic panic was mid-80s, early 90s. But you talk about the origin back in LaVey, those times. The Starting exorcist, in the late 60s, the yeah. The board coming out in the mm-hmm. 70s. But I think what fueled the fire more than anything to the satanic panic was... I mean, we've covered it on the show a dozen times. The year of the serial killer. The amount of serial killers existing between 1975. That was also covered um, when I was looking kind of like a timeline. They were all chocolate, like Ted Bundy, Gacy. That was all Satan. Anything ritual. All Satan. (laughs) My my point is they're already getting, they're starting to say, oh, that's satanic. This is satanic. Oh, that's satanic. This, this is involved in the satanic stuff. Then all of a sudden we just have mass murderers going nuts. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you talk Zodiac ritualistic. You talk. Ramirez, hello, Satanism well, right there. He, yeah. You know what I mean? 
But all the, just think about the, the sheer volume of serial killers in that time really scared people. And it we, must be Satan. And we as people need to equate a reason behind things. We have to. Like, for some reason, our yeah. brain is wired. We need a fucking reason why that And happened. we do need a reason. When but you can't find one, the problem. Well, the problem is then we, and I'll go into this later, but we as a society shift blame. Oh, of course. Um, if we can't blame something. We can blame something intangible. And then it's, like you said earlier, it, it, How it's, do we fix it's this? word of mouth and it snowballs. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just takes a life of its own. So we'll get back to that, but. Earlier, I mentioned Dungeon and Dragons. Fuck yeah. Before I get back to Tommy's case, which we will, because remember, that's the topic of this episode. I don't want to venture too far away from him. Um, Before I get back to his case, I want to briefly touch on this. How the hell did a game, a game, become such a large part of the satanic panic? Easily. Look at society throughout the years. Well, in 1979... 16-year-old James Dallas Egbert III went missing from his college dorm in Michigan State University. So he's going to college as a 16-year-old kid. He's Mm -hmm. obviously a prodigy of some sort. Pretty fucking smart kid. His parents hired a private investigator uh, after he went missing who soon discovered that James, who was suffering from severe mental illness issues as well as drug addiction, um, unfortunately, his body was later discovered underneath the school in the utility tunnels. He had ultimately taken his own life. Sad. So the private investigator uh, said that the the cause of this, in his professional opinion, was this fantasy game, Dungeons & Dragons, and it was responsible for the young boy's demise. Oh. That's where this started. Are you kidding me? I'm not just kidding some you. Some fucking quack was just like some fucking quack. Not the fact that this kid was 16 year old in college, in college, struggling mentally. Actually, without getting too far into it, because this case, unfortunately, I mean, we can cover him in a later time. But this case is about Tommy. He was running under to the tunnels to um, seek refuge from the voices and the issues that he was having. Clearly he was, he was, he needed care. Clearly needed help. So this is what pisses me off right here about the satanic panic because it, it yeah, it deflects, it takes away from, it blame shifts. So we're going to blame Satan. And this isn't an issue of whether you believe in God or Satan or anything. We're going to shift blame. We're not going to look at the root cause of something and see what we can fucking do better as a society. But we're going to blame the devil and our board game. 100%. It's just infuriating. 100%. And I'm not going to get in like too political or anything like that. But the world has evolved into that over the last 30 years. We shift blame on everything fucking else than what the actual fucking problem is. Yeah, it really pissed me off. The growth of social media and the internet has allowed that to happen even more. And you talk about how did Dungeons and Dragons do it? Think about the '90s when we were kids. They mm-hmm. wanted to ban fucking Mortal Kombat because it made kids. Or violent. Metallica. They wanted to ban NWO. Well, NWO remember, remember Metallica. Fuck the police and all that stuff. Oh yeah, they wanted to ban all these bands and these games because they were causing us. They were deteriorating our minds and causing us to be violent. Well, here I am still. I'm good. <laughs> I killed anybody fucking down the street, stabbing people. I'm not satanic because I played Mortal Kombat and listened to Metallica. Well, like, right after um, this young man's case, James. From that point on, D&D would be blamed for many other crimes. We could be here literally all day and night talking about famous cases in the 80s and 90s where a topic of Dungeons & Dragons was taken into account. More specifically, though, Tommy Sullivan, in the weeks leading up to his death, happened to have played that game game. with his friends. (laughs) 
they didn't have video games really back then. If you only if you could afford like an Atari or what a basic Nintendo at that point. Yeah, I'm not sure. 88. Yeah, it was know. Nintendo was out. Yeah. But I mean, still, not everybody had them like today. Yeah. What did you do? You played board games, and Dungeons and Dragons was a, step a fantasy up, game. But it's a step up from a board game. Yeah. Because it is a board game, but you're playing these scenarios, and it's imaginative, and it's much more than Monopoly. You know what I mean? Now, consider everything I just said, the tangent I just went on about Satanic Panic, as well as the time frame. Tommy Sullivan's case occurred right at the height of this epidemic. Tensions were already high, and everyone honestly felt that their children were being targeted by Satanists. Like, Satan is walking among us and looking for your child. Yeah, I mean, that's the and, panic. And that's that the satanic panic. That's how they And that was like, affirmed with Tommy's death or suicide, apparent suicide. So we know that Tommy's friend had written his school paper, just a quick recap, on Satanism. And we know that that topic interested Tommy. Investigators were later told that Tommy had begun doodling satanic symbols in his notebook and listening to heavy metal music, which I won't go into that tangent. During, But during the satanic panic of the 80s, it was very typical to blame, excuse me, had the hiccups, to blame music. Of course, we just talked about that. Yeah. I remember as a child of the 80s, the treatment that poor Metallica got, <laughs> they literally got blamed for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel so bad for them. I mean, I, I mean, I, we literally grew up listening to Manson, Tool, yeah, Corn, Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera. It was said that after Tommy wrote this paper for school, Tommy and his parents came to a bit of a disagreement. Tommy no longer wanted to attend Catholic school, allegedly. We don't know for sure. However, his parents, of course, wanted the opposite. He was still the happy social kid that he had always been up until the Christmas. Before the murder-suicide. So we're talking like not even weeks before. Like two, three weeks. He had become more withdrawn in those two or three weeks. He was more sullen. He was, And he was starting to stay out a little too late. Of course, his parents didn't approve of this new behavior. I mean, what parent would? Right. We know that on the night of the murder, Tommy returned home late from somewhere. No one knows where. We only have rumors to rely on, so I'm not going to even speculate. Right, 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 right. When his mother confronted him, Tommy apparently, according to the evidence, right, brutally killed and mutilated her before taking his own life. Earlier, I had mentioned that Tommy's suicide note was found in his father's car after the discovery of his body, and I promised you I would circle back yep, to yep. that, and oh, now is that time. The contents of that note would eventually be released, and of course, it would shake the community and put every parent on edge. Tommy's suicide note was effectively a written pact between Tommy and, quote, the most powerful demon in hell, where Tommy promised that he would kill his whole family, whole family, before taking his own life. So according to the note, his original plan was to kill his whole family, not just his mom, and then himself. Of course, that didn't happen. I mean, thank God, but... No, but I could see how that theory could be bought because his mom maybe came down and found him. So he had to drastically kill her. That's why it was so brutal. And then he was going to set fire to the house and everybody else was going to die. To the community, this was a crime that was committed due to Tommy being exposed to devil worship. So the devil made me do it. Yeah, and that board game made me do it. Now, let me be clear. 
this has nothing to do, guys, like I said earlier, whether or not you believe in God, Satan, or whatever, that's relevant in this case. What is relevant is that we, as a nation, spent well over a decade blame-shifting, I believe. It's it's really easy to blame the devil or a game or music in a truly baffling case such as Tommy's, where we're left with more questions than answers. However, what we failed to do is put our emotions and the mob mentality aside and look at the facts. Tommy's mental health was never once brought up in any article I could find. All I could find was his never-ending lists of accomplishments, which is all well and good, but obviously there was a disconnect somewhere. Right, and there's both sides of it, right? So obviously we didn't find any mental health stuff because he didn't have any kind of issues or it wasn't public back then or nothing was going on there. Uh, but he had his list of his accomplishments. But then again, a lot of the serial killers we've covered have a list of accomplishments. Have a list of accomplishments and poses this superb member of society. Look at Robert Hansen. You know what I mean? Like, so it's it's uh, I, really confusing. I'm definitely not placing any blame on the surviving members of his family. I I am, however, blaming the thought process that shifts all the blame onto a theory that isn't even tangible as opposed to looking at perhaps what we could have done better. You know what I mean? Like what did actually go wrong? What could we have done better? I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent, but I get so aggravated when I see especially kids struggling and then their memory is defiled because they're used as like a warning to others. They're They're part part of a narrative. And you know, this is a warning. What happened to Tommy? No, Tommy was more, and I'm not saying what, if he did this, this is not what was right, of course, you know, but uh, it just makes me so mad. Anyways. Okay. Back to the case. <laughs> Unfortunately, the rumor mill in Jefferson Township won out again. Police had to be posted at Tommy's funeral because a rumor started to spread that a Satanist cult was coming to claim Tommy's body. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you can't even make this stuff up anymore. And pretty quick after Tommy's funeral, guess who came on scene, on the scene, to further the satanic panic agenda and make a quick buck? You want to guess? Or no? no? Okay. None other than Geraldo Rivera. Oh, God. (laughs) So you you can absolutely, totally go and watch his documentary still on YouTube. It's called Devil Worship. Exposing Satan's Underground. I mean, Geraldo's like, done a lot of good things. He has. It's like twenty. Ugh, I don't like him. It's like twenty-four parts long. This whole documentary. It's on YouTube. I couldn't even get through like part one. It's freaking painful. The only thing I will say about it is this: it's rather opportunistic. I think that's a safe way to put it. I think a lot of things were during that era, that satanic yeah. panic. I think there was a lot of opportunity for media and you know the media growth and all those kinds of things. There was a lot of opportunity to spark, to make a name for yourself, I should say. In other words, I feel like Geraldo did what Geraldo does. He profited from an, an unfortunate situation and has no remorse about adding fuel to a fire, personally. I mean, that's the that's what I got out of it. Of course, his documentary had incredibly high rating, ratings, and it was when it was aired, and everyone watched it, which is just more of a testament to fuel the narrative. Yeah, to fuel the narrative. Okay, so now let's talk about Tommy's little brother Brian and his father Thomas Sullivan Sr. Soon after burying Betty Ann and Tommy, 
Thomas Sr. took his son and uh, his youngest son and moved to Florida without telling anyone, even his family, which... Don't blame him. I can't blame him. Thomas Sullivan Sr. did remarry about a year later. Damn, okay. A little weird. Betty Ann Sullivan's sister, after this tragedy, spent quite a bit of time studying child psychology, trying to, like us, gain some insight and make sense out of what happened to her sister and her nephew. Yeah. The authorities even allowed her to see the, see the crime scene photographs. I do have to say that shortly after that, she joined a convent and became a nun. Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. Fucked her up that much. And sadly, at the age of 21, Brian Sullivan, Tommy's little brother, committed suicide. It's not surprising. This family was just plagued by tragedy. It's devastating. The poor kid. He's just, he's been through so much and was barely allowed to grieve, you know, because of the times. And I'm sure that there was a lot of unprocessed trauma there to yeah, say trauma, the least. Questions, pain. But Brian is buried alongside his mother, Betty, and, and brother Tommy in St. Peter and Paul Cemetery in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. What? 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 Delaware County? Mm-hmm. Delco? Where I grew up? <laughs> Oh, that's where that's I didn't where, know the county. That's where Wallingford is. Sorry, I bumped this. That's your good. I didn't know the county. Yeah, it's Delaware County. Shout out to Delco. Cool. I mean. It's not really like a cool correlation, but you know what I mean. Well, it's the first time that we ever. <laughs> no, we talked about Chester before. Oh, we have. The yeah. Jersey Devil. That's so. true. That's true. Not another good correlation, but whatever. So I know that we all have questions, or at least I do. <laughs> I would like to share with you some theories that I came across regarding this case. I went on a through a few um, threads. Oh, so you this is this is stuff you found that people are like basically saying this is my conspiracy this theory is, or my theory. This or, is my pulse on this is yours how people or other people other people's okay. at first, and then I'll give mine. Right, right. If okay. you don't That's mind, I thought, no, I thought you're yeah, you're covering a couple other people's theories, and then you're going to make your own out of it. So I found a few threads, and and this is the general consent. These are a few theories that people have. Everybody has them on these cases. So the general consensus I'm getting from reading in numerous forums and on Reddit, (laughs) it's probably not the best place to go, (laughs) is that that not many people are convinced that a 14-year-old boy would be able to do this to himself specifically. Not to be graphic, but sawed his own head off? Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of hard to... Grasp One theory is that since Tommy was such an avid wrestler, could he have suffered a head injury? Back in the 80s, concussions were definitely not taken as seriously as they are today. And if you listen to any true crime podcast, many people are under the impression that head trauma to some degree is a common occurrence amongst yeah, many a, prolific serial that's killers. Like a, that's like a scientific theory. That's not a Reddit theory. That's like so, a, I mean... Well, I know I added that last part in, but yeah, I mean, I I, I can see it. I mean, Do I buy it? No, but it's literally where we got our name evil pudding from is we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about studying those brains, and you asked me what it would look like, and I was like, "Fucking evil pudding." Yeah, That's exactly. Another theory, as I mentioned before, um, well, I didn't mention this before. I was thinking it before, is that the father was somehow involved. Always questionable. And I think that. He was actually a suspect before Tommy's body was found. And then after his body was found, all the attention turned away from him when the media and the locals started to focus in on Tommy's sudden interest in the occult. And when he remarried rather quickly, that roused further suspicion. Was he having an affair? 
Did he murder Tommy in an effort to pin his wife's murder on Tommy? Or perhaps did Tommy walk in on his father murdering his mother and he had to kill Tommy to cover it up? I mean, they're not I'm just not sure. I'm not not saying those are like dead on. I'm just saying there's some substance behind them. The evidence says, you know, that's not true. Tommy's prints were on the dumbbell and the knife. And there were only one set of footprints in the snow. I was about to say, the the one set of footprint is the only thing that's saving all this stuff. So without evidence or a definitive motive, I don't want to speculate. I don't even want to do that to someone who is still alive, who is suffering a loss. And I, no, I ha- There's no evidence to suggest that he's involved, and I'm not going to speculate. But- I'm not speculating. All I was saying is I see the substance behind the theory. Yeah. The main killer that kills oh, all that yeah. is the one set of footprints. But those theories have, whether it's strong basis, but it, it, it makes you question. It can make you question. Most popular theory that I hate to even vocalize, but I have to because it is such a popular one. Um, there's like a couple of other podcasts that tried to cover this story and it was possessed, Boy Scout kills mother, you know, stuff like that. Yep. I won't call them out, but <sighs> was Tommy possessed by the devil? Does that explain why he had the strength to smear his mother's blood effectively on the ceiling after killing her before killing himself in the most brutal way I can imagine? I say no, absolutely not. And I think that us focusing on that being a possibility just kind of further pushes us farther away from ever really getting answers as to what, you know, really happened. Right. Now for what it's worth, these are my two cents. Okay. Okay. I believe that Tommy grew up in a world of church, which, which don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing at all. It can be a super positive thing. However, with the atmosphere of the 80s and the guilt that would have plagued a very strict Catholic boy for just having even a spark of interest in another religion, I believe that maybe he could have felt guilt. And I am by far not a doctor, but if he was suffering from any sort of mental underlying mental health issues to begin with, coupled with the upheaval that was going on inside of him, maybe he could have, and I stress could have, this could have caused some sort of religious psychosis. And don't get angry with me. I'm just spitballing here. Could it have happened that way? I mean, that that would be a lot. He I mean, he could have felt guilt. He could have been, you know, yeah, no, exhausted. I'm not saying it couldn't have been. He could have been... Not just guilt, but he could I'm have been... I'm lost, uh, so I, I'm just trying here. No, I know. I mean, not just guilt, but it could have been... He could have just been in a mental turmoil, like cause everything he knew about his whole life. Yeah. He was exposed to all these That's new things. That's effectively what just, I meant. Yeah. It just shook him to the core. And he doesn't... And maybe there is guilt because he's straying away from the family stuff. I don't know, but there's there's just one... I mean, I'll let you finish, and I'll get some what my thoughts on it when you're over with yeah. yours. Okay, so he was devoted to his sport. Was he physically drained and emotionally exhausted on top of all this? You know, possible. Like I said, religion's not a bad thing, um, but religious trauma is very real. Was he suffering from that in some sort of way? I mean, I don't know. I'm really trying here. I'm try- and I'm, I usually have an idea of what happens in these cases. Yeah. And this one, I, I have none. I I, I can enough, guess. I, have no, I don't think anybody has one. Would I would I bet money on this? Absolutely not, because I think I'd lose. But I, it's it's my best guess is well, all I can say. I get it. That said, it does not explain how he was able to kill himself in that horrible manner. I mean, damn, not even the coroner was like, 
yeah, I don't see how he could have done this to himself at all. It also doesn't explain a few other aspects of the case, but am I crazy to still really want answers? Not just for Betty Ann, but also for Tommy, because his name's been smeared and used to, you know, meet an agenda like we were talking about. Let's not forget that. Right, right. And I'm by no means saying that I agree with what he did. Absolutely not. If he did it. I'm just saying that I'd like to know why. (laughs) What did we miss? Because we definitely missed something. Everybody did. Okay, so I gave my opinion a lot in this episode, and I'm sorry I don't usually do that, and I apologize. I get heated on this topic. <laughs> Clearly, but, um, you guys can't see her. She's like over here like ready to fight me, and I'm like, I'm just sitting here. What the fuck, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> I know, I know. I get so heated. It's sad because I think, too, as our son is that age, that age and I know. I, I couldn't imagine, you know what, what is one thing I want, and I'm not bashing him because, again, I've never thanked the Lord. I've never had a child lost to me. But I wonder why he hasn't come forward and just squashed some of this sometimes. If he has, maybe I'm wrong, but I couldn't find anything. The father? The father. Why didn't he come forward and? Maybe he wanted nothing to do with it. You don't know. Yeah. So it's, again, what are you going to speculate there too? Yeah. I just... This whole thing is speculation. This whole thing is speculation. All I can say on my side of it. Yeah, go ahead. When I try to be as subjective as I can when you tell these stories and try to think of it like a military cop brain or something like that. Logical. It, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> you could say that. Uh, there's two things and there's just, they're so contradictory that I just don't understand it. Okay. And that she- is, they found no prints other than his going to his body or anywhere in the area. I would be hell bent to challenge someone to find me a specialist that can absolutely tell you without a doubt that a human being can mutilate their arm like that and then have the power and the ability to withstand it to almost completely decapitate yourself. I was talking about this with Poppy today, my dad. <laughs> and It's not possible. And we, Well, we were talking about, and I'm, I apologize if this gets graphic, but him and I would both figure that if you were to do that to your own neck, you would in some capacity need to utilize that other hand, that the one that's been injured, in some capacity to to because you're cutting through literal nerves and mm-hmm. that's beyond painful. There's gonna be blood everywhere. Yeah. This is a dull blade. A Boy Scout knife is not sharp. No, exactly. <laughs> so I mean People I have spoken to in person about this said, no way, no how. That's what I'm saying. It's you got to be joking. It's impossible. Jennifer, if I may call you out, she thinks no way, no how. I, every logical person I've spoken to thinks no way, no how. There are a few that, and oh, I didn't put this in my notes, but there are a few that I have seen that think, and this is another theory to think about, were the reports kind of trying to, um, further the satanic panic agenda, and maybe his injuries weren't that bad. That was another thought. But literally every report I've seen has said that they were that bad. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I mean, we can speculate all day long. I would think that, you know, um, Betty Ann's sister, who saw the crime scene photos, she would have squashed that idea. She was pretty vocal about it. But... um I don't know, guys. I'd love to hear y'all's feedback. Absolutely. Let us know what you think because I don't even know where to start on this one. You look just dumbfounded right I, now. I am dumbfounded because it doesn't make any sense. Like I just said, no one else's prints or any evidence of another human being was near his body. But 
I'm t- like I said, I'm hell bent to say, find me, a, find me a scholar or a medical professional that can tell you that can be done. By a 14 year old. It doesn't matter how old you are. I don't care how old you are. I mean, by a 30 year old bodybuilder. I don't care. Even especially a child, if not a 30 year old bodybuilder, especially not. Yeah, a I'm just child. saying that's irrelevant to what I'm saying. Like, yeah. not find me a human being that could do that. I agree. Because one, you're cutting through, your, like you said, your trachea, both Herbs. both arteries in your neck. You're not going to be awake at that point. Mm-mm. You'll be, dead, that far you'll be dead before you could finish the job. Mm-hmm. And you would definitely need both hands. And you would have passed out from pain. You don't, I don't know if you necessarily need both hands. With a dull knife, I think you would. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I don't I know either. It. I haven't tested it. Yeah, we, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man. I, whew, that's it's heavy. a mess. That's crazy. But I, I feel that's why I went so far down the rabbit hole, by the way, of the satanic panic. Because I feel that that's why we don't have real answers to some degree. You know, again, like we said before, it feeds the narrative, right? And when, yeah. when, when human beings don't have answers, mm-hmm. that's when we let our imaginations take over. Yeah. We, we, by, by nature, we need to understand. Mm-hmm. We want to understand. And when we can't find a logical explanation, we will fucking plug anything we can that makes somewhat of a sense. We do it. We all do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what you're seeing here to your point. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm baffled by this shit. I can't even form fucking sentences right now. I'm so, so confused by this. And that to that point, it's like, well, maybe it was satanic panic. You know what I mean? Because you just can't rationally explain it. Yeah. So it fits the narrative, and those are the people that, and then you got the other ones that just follow the lead. So it's a mess. It's a fucked up case and a fucked up story that, to your point in the beginning, we'll never fucking know what happened. Now, do you see why I couldn't give it a title right now? I can also I'm see like, why you were so far down rabbit holes on this one when you were studying because this shit goes all over the place. It goes everywhere. I even came across um, the Jersey Devil is um, part of this. I'm sure it's a fan Because it's theory. in the woods. It's in the woods. It's not part of the Pine Barrens. It's not part of the Pine. But you know who Jersey else Devil is from that town? Uh, is it Mil- Mil- Milton? Milton who? The um, town we were t- You said you know where it is. Oh, uh, West Milford? Milford. Do you know who else is from there and lived kind of in that area? Um, the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, I yeah. think his name was. Well, I mean, it's, I looked it up when we were talking because I couldn't remember where Morris County was, but I remember the town's names and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's only like 30 minutes west of New York City. So it's yeah. north, north ass Jersey, like New York border. Yeah. So that would make sense. That's crazy. What y'all doing up there, New Jersey? <laughs> Man, because California is a bad one. There was a lot of serial killers in the 70s. Y'all got Satan in y'all's woods. <laughs> Just that, kidding. Y'all don't. You don't. Don't freak out. What's hilarious please. about that is the irony of the, <laughs> the, the theory that they literally have the spawn of Satan in those woods. The Jersey Devil. Yep. So. And I almost threw in that, but I was down my rabbit hole of no, irateness just, about the satanic panic. Add some entertainment to the, the, the deepness on that. So yeah. if you want to learn about the Jersey Devil, check out the cryptid episode. We talked about it a little bit. That's funny. There's mermaids involved. There's mermaids and ghost pirates. Mm-hmm. And they don't pork. We learned that. He, Oh, yeah. The Jersey Devil didn't pork the mermaid, apparently, I guess. I don't know. Well, they were friends. They hung well, out. They, apparently, they porked. I don't know. No, no. I said that. Oh, that's, it was your question. You <laughs> wondered if they had done that. That's right. That's right. No, they just hung out on the beach. I mean, as you do. Before he walked around with the dead pirate that was guarding the buried treasure. You know. Not too far out there at all. Normal shit. <laughs> that would sound weird if we didn't cover this crazy ass episode. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, I don't even know anymore. I don't, I don't even either. know what to say. Um, thank you. <laughs> but 
but seriously, thank you, Jennifer, for ruining me for this week. Keep the case recommendations coming, guys, because send them in. It's amazing. Uh, case rec form. We have yeah, we do our email on our link tree, or you can just message us directly on the social medias. Insta. Okay, guys, be good to each other. See you next week. Bye.